Welcome to My Classic Soul, a podcast dedicated to the best soul and R&B music throughout the decades. We have a special episode today as our friend and soulmusic.com founder, David Nathan, is joined by acclaimed producer and songwriter, Preston Glass, who has worked with Aretha Franklin, Whitney Houston, Diana Ross, and many more. Today, David and Preston are talking about working with the late Maurice White and legendary supergroup Earth, Wind & Fire, and in particular about Manifestation, Maurice's last solo work with Preston, recently released on Soul Music Records through Warner X, now available on all digital platforms. They're joined by Jeff Vashister, Variety magazine contributor for a lively discussion about Maurice's work and global impact on the world of music. So, without further ado, let's join David with his guests, Preston Glass and Jeff Vashister. So this is quite a momentous occasion. We have three of us here talking today about the legendary Maurice White, the founder of Earth, Wind & Fire. And what brings us together today is a discussion about uh, Maurice White, the impact of Earth, Wind & Fire, which has been, um, you know, the catalyst for this specifically is um, an album that was produced by one of the gentlemen on this this, uh, session with me and us, uh, Preston Glass, award-winning music producer, songwriter, uh, who has worked with countless people, countless, so many, it would take quite a long time to list more, but let's throw a few names out, Aretha Franklin, George Benson, Natalie Cole, Whitney Houston, Kenny G, uh, let me see, got any others you want to throw in, Preston? Oh, I was going to say, that's enough, you make me feel old. But... <laughs> okay, okay, and uh, that's Preston who produced and collaborated with Maurice White on his last solo uh, project, which is called Manifestation, which is a current release through Soul Music Records in association with Preston's Platinum Garage Recordings. And it is um, distributed through X Warner X and available on all digital platforms. And we're going to find out from Preston about how uh, he became involved with working with Maurice uh, and that project. And also joining us is Jeff Jeff Vasista, who I've known for many, many years as a uh, colleague, a journalist colleague, uh, selling it with Blues and Soul back in in the 80s, I think, in London. And uh, he would be known to Blues and Soul readers as Jeff Larez, but since Blues and Soul is now a part of his history rather than his current work, he is using his birth name. And Jeff has recently been working on uh, some other uh, writing projects. Uh, most recently, as of um, uh, May 2020, uh, doing an interview with uh, Kenny Babyface Edmonds and Teddy Riley uh, as a result of their, quote, battle. <laughs> we mean battle, of course. We don't mean battle in person. We mean musical battle. So yeah, welcome. Uh, yes. Welcome, Preston. Welcome, Jeff. And uh, yes. Hi. So what we're going to do, uh, Preston, let's start talking to you about um, your association with Maurice. And, and Jeff, as as uh, yeah, I'll ask a few questions. And if you have some questions for Preston, you sure. know, feel free to jump in as we go along. So Preston, why don't you tell us about how you um, first began working with Maurice and Earth, Wind & Fire? You know, what was the genesis of that? What actually happened? Did he call you one day? Just, just share with us. What happened? Yeah. Well, I, like many of us all, we love Maurice White. We love 
Earth, Wind, and Fire. So I never thought I would ever uh, work with them. I just was always craving uh, the next time they would come out with an album. And then all of a sudden, I get a call from my publisher, Brenda Andrews at Almo Music, Almo Irving. And uh, she says that Maurice White is interested in uh, taking a meeting with me and uh, possibly working with me. I said, what? Of course, I fell out my chair. I was 24 years old at the time. And, uh, you know, I'm a songwriter producer. I'm thinking, what could he possibly want to work with me for? He's one of the greatest songwriter producers. He does it all himself. So um, we had a meeting and uh, I had prepared some music for him uh, just in case he wanted to hear some. But I figured, well, he must have heard something that he liked. And uh, sure enough, we had a nice uh, meeting. Then he said, you know, he's working on a new project and he wants some young blood. So I played him a little bit of music I had worked on for him. And he looked at Philip Bailey. They, they both had come together. And uh, they, they both said, yes, we want to work with you. We want to do a couple songs with you. So uh, I found out later that uh, he was not familiar with my music at all. <laughs> but because of uh, two things, Brenda Andrews' recommendation and the amount of letters in my name. <laughs> I found really? Was, yeah. My name had a certain amount of letters. I guess he's into numerology. And he was, course, yeah. yeah, yeah, we found yeah. Later. And so, uh, but of course, once we started working together, the, the uh, spiritual connection and the vibe and the music and the love mm. for classic music and everything... Uh, that forged a 40-year relationship, mm. and uh, we ended up writing close to 50 songs together over the years. Wow. But that wow. was the genesis of my meeting with Maurice. Yes. Um, so I just want to ask you one question, then, Jeff, if you have any particular questions yeah, yeah. about that particular uh, beginning of that, of that association, Preston. Um, of course, you know, put in context, you know, uh, at that point... Um, um, which is where I can share a little later about my uh, professional association with Maurice. Uh, he had uh, done a solo album um, in 1985 or six. I've got to check the year. And, um, and then there were, you know, they had, he'd taken a break from Earth, Wind & Fire, essentially. So the album that you're referring to and the, and, and the music you're referring to, Preston, was what we'd call the... Touch the World. Yeah. Touch the World. So I don't want to call it a comeback, but it was it was a re- return after a hiatus. That's probably a better way of saying it. So I guess it was a really important uh, project for him and for the he band. Yeah. From what I understand, um, they had went through quite a few producers, uh, oh. Maurice, of course, had always, uh, along with Charles Stepney, produced their earlier stuff. And uh, I guess because they were having this resurgence, they were looking for some other input. And uh, the right. record company, you know, was behind some of that. And okay. uh, when I saw some of the names that they had got with before me and that they passed on, I was like, what? It was like the names like Burt Backrack, of all people. Wow. Larry Glenn of Cameo, um, Robert Bell, uh, Ronald Bell of Cool and the Gang, and people like that. I was like, wow, you mean he wants to work with me and, you know, yeah. and work with those guys. So I was real honored, but I was, you know, I was on top of my game making sure that uh, I don't blow this opportunity. 
Now, just to put, uh, yeah, uh, go ahead. Can I, just, I was going to ask you one other question, a uh, 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 person about that, and then turn it over to Jeff to ask you some questions about it too. Um, now, at that point in your own career, uh, Preston, had you been working on, uh, with Tom Bell? I know you, you know, you and I both know your history, and I'm not sure a lot of other people listening know your history. But at that point, had you already been working with Tom Bell and with neither Michael Warden or just Tom, just so we can get some context yeah. around what you were doing? Yeah, I, I had spent uh, quite a few years working. Uh, start well, my start was with Tom Bell, the uh, the first producer to ever win a Grammy for producer of the year. You know, the, of the Philly Sound, and mm-hmm. I worked with him for about six years, and also with Narda Michael Walden. So, um, and I had a, quite a bit of success with Narda Michael Walden. So to be fair to Maurice, I'm sure that's one of the things that uh, he knew about me is that I had, I wasn't just a, a new uh, spring chicken. Well, I but, gotcha. Uh, at the same time, I was somewhat of a new producer hmm. on my own. And uh, it, was, it was something for him to sort of take a chance with this young cat and... Uh, but we, we had good results. We had a number one hit with System of Survival. Yeah, I mean, what I found uh, fascinating with that Touch of World album with System of Survival, it was a completely different sound for Earth, Wind & Fire. I mean, the, the, the horns were gone, and it was a very um, technologically current sound for them. Um, what was it like working on that album with them? Because it was a... Com- did you come up with with track or with System of Survival in particular? Did you yeah. come up with the track originally, or was there a demo which you worked on? And because the drums are very hard, it's very spared down for them. Yeah, it's a very interesting question and a very interesting subject because we could probably talk for an hour about this song. This song, which I didn't write, it was a Skylark wrote that. Yeah, Skylark, and what happened was. I'll tell you, I'll try and be as I think he left it out, as I heard, and you tell me if I'm wrong or right, he left the demo on Maurice's car, Maurice's car. Yeah. And then... (laughs) We were... uh, We had a studio in uh, the Bay Area near Sausalito, and uh, so they, being out of their neck of the woods, they rented a condo, so they had to have rent-a-cars. So they rented a car. Now, meantime, Skylark had come to my uh, office studio to try and show me a song for Maurice that day. And uh, apparently my secretary told him while we were in the other studio that uh, we were not looking for material, which was not true. Uh. But (laughs) so he being uh, persistent waited in the parking lot until Maurice got in his rental car and went to their condo followed them, and then once they got in, he put the cassette tape, uh, taped it on the car window. So the next morning, they found it on there, and they listened to it on the way to my studio. And the first thing that they said that next day was, uh, we want something we didn't play for you yesterday. We want to see what you think of it. They didn't tell me it wasn't their song. I assumed it was one of their songs. And they played it, and I said, wow, this is great. And it sounded to me like an Earth, Wind, and Fire song. I said, you guys, when did you guys write this? They said, we did. They said, <laughs> we, you know, they, we found it on our car this morning. I said, what? And then the rest is history, you know. Um, the demo pretty much sounded like what you described, Jeff. Um, it was bare, 
bones in the rhythm, and, but but hard in the uh, the drums. And, but I want to correct one thing. You said no horns. Maybe you're talking about the overall scope of the album. But that song had Jerry Hay uh, and the horn arrangements. Right. Must five on the horns and uh, what made that arrangement uh, close to their sound. We wanted to make sure we had Jerry Hay on the horn arrangement. Uh, we wanted to make sure we had uh, some of their, you know, fellow uh, Earth, Wind & Fire cats on the rhythm and uh, Sheldon Reynolds playing and uh, people like that. And I added some mm. guitar myself. So, uh, yeah, we we thought it was a different kind of sound for them. And, and that's what uh, Maurice liked about it. He said it was like our sound, but yet it was like bringing us into the new uh, the new age. Hmm. And, yeah. and Preston, I have a question for you, uh, and probably Jeff would likely hmm. ask the same question. What was it actually like physically being in a studio with this like mega band, uh, and and you know, with the founder, you know, founder and the original, you know, trio or quartet of musicians who had been part, you know, uh, Maurice's brother Vodine, Philip. You know, um, uh, I don't know. Was Al uh, Al McKay there? I can't remember. No, it was. He's gone then. This was an interesting thing. You know, even though, of course, this Earth, Wind, and Fires really was with our sessions were really a Maurice, um, Philip, and Andrew Woolfolk and Verdine. That's it. Right. So it was really four of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and uh, any drum overdubs was, uh, you know, Maurice just doing overdubs. It was a lot of drum machine. And, you know, I played a lot of this stuff. And, of mm. course, to answer your question, uh, it was amazing because I kept telling myself, why am I here? <laughs> Maurice is, uh, you know, he's, he's a genius. And I learned so much about the recording process and I'm thinking, well, he's telling me he wants me here because I bring to the table some freshness, some uh, youth, and um, he liked my work ethic. So I said, I better, I better continue to bring that to the table. I don't fit in here. <laughs> but um, I learned so much from him about vocals, how to stack them. You know, he sings. You know, he sang just as high as Philip Bailey. So wow. uh, mm. all them parts were. We're not just Philip, all them parts, but them two together. What a blend they had. How many and, times did they stack each vocal just out of interest? Uh, you remember the days with the 24-track, um, two-inch reel? Sure. Yeah. And we would have slave reels. So if we run out of 24-tracks, we go to the next. Well, we had we would have four uh, full 24-tracks of just vocals. Oh, wow. Okay. Stack, stack, wow. stack, stack. So, but... They weren't just, you know, the same part over and over. There was underlying parts. There were nuances that maybe if you heard the record, you go, well, it's just, you know, a couple parts in there. There were about seven or eight different kinds of parts. Amazing. And it showed me his percussive background. Yes. You know, yes. It, just, it taught me a lot. So let's talk a bit about, um, so, so firstly, that's very interesting because I never, even though I, I worked with Maurice uh, for a particular period of time and had actually known him 
Uh, I first met him in 1975, which I'll share about in a moment. Um, I never was actually in the studio with him when he recorded. So I never actually saw the process. And um, that's really astonishing to actually know that's what how some of how it went. I mean, obviously, we, Jeff and, and, and I and, and yourself, we're all familiar with those um, those classic early Earth, Wind & Fire albums. And, you know, the, some of the arrangements, the vocal arrangements, and it never occurred to me to actually ask how they were done at the time. And I'm sure they probably were a little different because we're talking the difference between 1970 you know, three, so four, seven, five, and 1987. I'm sure the technology was different and how recording was done. But still, in all, what, I, what I'm hearing you say is that the, the kind of the whole way, the stacking the vocals and that whole effect, which really contributed to the what we would call the Earth, Wind, and Fire sound, which was very distinct from the other groups of that time. Yes, and he told me that he learned a lot of that himself from Charles Stepney. Uh, mm-hmm. which was amazing to me because Stepney came around at an age where there wasn't the slave reel. You only had a certain amount of tracks. So mm-hmm. for him uh, to be able to put that sound together back in those days was amazing. But yeah. Uh, yeah. And for those who may not know, which is, is to say, let's very briefly uh, explain that who Charles Stepney was, was, uh, was an uh, arranger, musician, uh, conductor, uh, and of course, in, in co-producer of the early Earth, Wind & Fire uh, albums, and uh, had also worked with Minnie Ripperton, Rotary Connection, um, and, and really they both, uh, Maurice and, and Charles Stepney, began in essence at Chess Records in Chicago in the mid-60s. Um, and so, uh, you know, and, and what I know of Charles Stepney, you know, he was classically trained, and so he brought a certain kind of ethic and a certain background so for those who are listening and may not wonder may not know who Charles Stepney was that was just a little brief um um be sharing of of who 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 he was and the contribution he made to those Earth, Wind and Fire classic albums and did he bring the emotions sorry carry on Preston um, uh, did he bring the emotions to um, Earth, Wind & Fire? He did, he did. Yeah. Yes, yes. Charles, Charles Stepney did bring uh, the emotions to the attention of Maurice White, although he actually did know about them earlier from um, being in Chicago. Of course, they were the uh, the um, Sunbeam, the Sunbeam, uh, oh man, what's the last, they were the Sunbeam. Not twins. They were the Sunbeam. They were the Sunbeams. They were the, you know, uh, the Hutchinson. Yes, Hutchinson, Sunbeams. Yes, the dad. You noticed a lot of. uh, Remember the Dells? Yeah. uh, Charles Stepney did a lot of their. uh, That's right. That's right. And those vocals, you know, really, the love we had stays on my mind. Those kind of uh, backgrounds remind me of when the Mm. Earth, Wind, and Fire was doing. uh, It's all about love and be everywhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they're really soft, but yet elegant almost let's pause for a quick break then we'll return to our exclusive interview with producer and songwriter preston glass and jeff vashister Now, saxophonist Jermaine Lockhart's new single, Perfect Timing, 
Executive produced by George Benson and produced by Preston Glass, Perfect Timing is a current UK soul music radio chart hit, the follow-up to Back to the Sunshine, Jermaine's first UK soul music top 20 single. Check out Jermaine Lockhart's new single, Perfect Timing, out now on Soul Music Records, available on all digital platforms. I want to just say that that question you were talking about, you know, as I said, uh, you meeting up with Maurice in 1987 and my association with him and with Earth, Wind & Fire, as I mentioned earlier, goes back a decade before that. Uh, However, immediately before you were working with him, um, I had uh, arrived a couple of years before I arrived in L.A. and uh, I remember being in touch with Maurice in 1980, this is like 1984, when I um, came out to L.A. from New York. And at that time, I wasn't, I think I was taking a little hiatus from Blues and Soul around that time, 84, 85. Uh, and um, I remember being in touch with him on an ongoing basis with, with Maurice. And he, um, through his uh, business manager, Art Macnow, um, you know, we just stayed in touch. And I said, well, I'm here, Maurice. You know, I think I can work with you on. I'd love to. Because our our relationship and our, our association had, um, yeah, I would call Maurice from time to time and speak to, again, Art McNown. And at that point, they were actually, he was, he had finally decided he needed to do an album himself. He had resisted doing it for a long time, solo album. And I remember having meetings with him. And originally, um, the idea of me working with him was actually not, uh, as it turned out, to be his publicist, but it was actually to um, work with him on a storyboard. He had a concept of what he wanted his first solo album to be. And he asked me, invited me to come up with some ideas for a whole story, like a storyboard that would be the backdrop for a series of songs he would write that so it would be essentially a concept album. And he gave me some ideas to work with. And although I don't have it anywhere close to hand, somewhere I actually have the original uh, type manuscript of what I presented to him. He gave me some thoughts about what it should be, and then I developed them. So I was really working with him in a different kind of context. It was as a writer um, and doing something I had never done before, which was writing as a, in, in, in a sense, fiction. Um, and uh, it was a very interesting process. And then uh, at some point, um, he, uh, he was working with, um, uh, with Art McNow and, and, and with Columbia Records about beginning to record. Um, anyway, he, um, uh, we went over the concept. We went everything. He was all excited about it. And a couple of the, of the songs that he wrote that came out of that concept did actually end up being recorded, but they didn't make the final cut of the album because Columbia said, look, this is your first solo album. We can't be doing concepts. We have to do straight up hits. I know this. So, yes. So, so, um, you know, 
essentially, I was like, okay, well, I know what I'm going to be doing now. So I said to Maurice, I said, you, you know, since, since you're doing this, I mean, do you need a, you, do you need a publicist? And I had never wanted to be a publicist. I'm not interested. No, 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 no. I've been a journalist. I saw what publicists went through. I was like, no, 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 no. But he and I got along really well as people. We were, um, you know, our interests, we had a lot of interests in things like ancient Egypt and, uh, you know, we, we had a lot of spiritual connections, so to speak, right? And so I said to Maurice, um, you know, I know this is a new venture, you're going to be doing this. So I yeah, wrote written the bio for you for, you for Columbia uh, Records. And so, so he said, well, what would you propose? And I presented him a proposal. And... Um, so I, he hired me as a publicist, and it was a really interesting experience. I, I went out to the video shoot for he did for Stand By Me, uh, which was the first single. I was actually in the video, but they cut me. It was my first video. It was going to be my first video appearance. And um, I met with Maurice, you know, ongoingly. I would go to his house in, in Bel Air. Amazing house, man. Amazing. Like this massive house, you know, massive library study. I remember you had all these literally hundreds of books on Egypt, on on archaeology, on mysticism, and just so much. It was really, really, really incredible. And um, so we had lots of great conversations. And uh, so I would meet with him on a regular basis to talk to him about – you know, what we were going to do and our plans. And so the famous moment of truth came when he said, um, I said, well, we should really see if we can get an interview with you for the LA Times, for the Sunday edition of the LA Times. He said, okay. He had some reluctance because the particular uh, uh, reporter, whose name escapes me right now, I'd have to look it up, um, was a was notorious for digging out dirt. You know, what I found really stunning and interesting about Maurice was just how far ahead of the time he was. I mean, this is in the, like, the 60s and early 70s. He was pretty much totally vegetarian. He, you know, at the time when musicians were getting high, he was like a health nut. He was eating mm-hmm. tofu. He was doing yoga, uh, meditating, um, And to come out of, you know, firstly from Memphis and then, you know, Chicago and the environment he came up uh, in, his outlook on life is remarkable for the period of time. Yeah, I can tell. Yeah. Go ahead. Did I ask him how? Come? Yeah. And did you see where that came from? Yes. 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 Okay. Yeah. The answer to your question is yes and yes. Um, uh, as part of his work with Ramsey Lewis and being on the road with Ramsey Lewis, the Ramsey Lewis trio, uh, after he was in the house band at Chess Records, Maurice um, was part of what eventually became known as Young Holt Unlimited. Uh, but he was really on the t- in the touring band with Ramsey Lewis. And one of the places Ramsey Lewis, the legendary keyboardist, um, would often tour was Japan. And it was in Japan that Maurice got introduced to the whole idea of Zen Buddhism. And he started to study. Um, he started studying about a different approach to life. So he always he, he would always share with me that it was actually the Eastern approach to life, detachment, 
um, the whole idea of being, um, you know, discovering one's inner self. And in fact, if you listen to a lot of those early songs, you know, he, you know yes, I guess he was very ahead of his time compared to contemporaries in music of that time. But that's really where it came from. And he had a thirst for knowledge, and it went from there to studying other religions. Um, um, and in fact, again, if you listen to All About Love, that one track on That's the Way the World, he talks about mysticism, religion. And, and, but what he discussed, what he's in that song in particular, he's talking about that at the end, the essence of all of it is it's all about love. And, and so, yeah, that's the truth is yes. And in our conversations in 1980, five, six, you know, we would talk about um, different aspects of things that we were both interested in in terms of um, spirituality and particularly Egypt and ancient Egypt, which he and I shared a deep passion for. And um, and then I did a little bit more publicity stuff with Maurice. Um, uh, the other notable moment in, in, in my publicist career with Mr. White was uh, when he was booked to do Solid Gold which was a weekly show hosted at that time by Dion Warwick. And uh, Dion and, and Maurice had never met, which seemed strange, but they hadn't. And Dion had already recorded an Earth, Wind & Fire song. She had recorded uh, In the Stone as part of a medley. Uh, uh, and she had also recorded, if I'm correct in my chronology, she had, I think, recorded Can't Hide Love on an album with Jay Graydon. I think she had done that. But anyway, she, she was a massive Earth, Wind & Fire fan. So uh, here I am at the studio with, you know, Maurice is the client, I'm the publicist, and Dion knew me, of course. So he said, never met us. I said, well, let me co-introduce you to her before the show begins. So, because um, they had planned to do a duet and they were going to go over that, but I wanted, they wanted to, he wanted to just meet her to just, before they started doing the duet. So I go to her dressing room, I knock on the door, and she says, hello. I said, this is David, and so she opened the door. And all I said was, December 12th, which was Dion's birthday, meet December 19th, which is Maurice's <laughs> birthday. And it was a classic moment. And they both grinned and laughed. And then, yeah, they had a little chat. And then I left them to talk together. And one of the things Dion says, yeah, I'm such an admirer of your work. And I would love to do some, you know, some songs with you and stuff like that. And and Maurice was like, you know, Burt Back, the stuff you do with Burt Backrack and and how David, you know, that was like help, you know, my development as a musician. So it was a kind of like a mutual Sagittarian love affair. And in fact, on uh, if you find go on YouTube, you find the clip of them singing after the love is gone together, which is remarkable. So Preston, Preston, let's come back to you, and let's yeah. find out about um, the creation of manifestation. Wow, what a what a way of saying it. Just tell us, how did that all come about? Well, as I mentioned, um, my working relationship with Maurice and my friendship lasted a good 40 years with him. And over those years, we wrote songs, whether it be for Earth, Wind & Fire, some uh, artists that he also was working with in Japan. We wrote music for that. We wrote songs for him as a solo artist. At one point, he was going to do a solo album with uh, Wycliffe Jean. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, Eric Benet producing some, and so we wrote some for that. He he seemed to enjoy the process of composing and writing, and he liked writing with me, and I liked writing with him, and uh, we had a lot of discussions during that. So 
a lot of songs were compiled. When we wrote, we didn't just write, you know, piano and voice. We we would, you know, put, bring in musicians, bring in vocalists. A lot of them sounded, you know, like records. Uh, that was just Maurice. He wanted to uh, make a song into something that sounded a little bit, you know, more produced. Mm-hmm. So we, we had a, about 40 or so songs. Wow. And uh, right before he passed away, and his health was, you know, declining a little bit, his, uh, you mentioned Art Mack now, that was his longtime manager, and of course Art passed away before Maurice, but right before both of them passed, Art called me and said, Preston, Maurice loves writing with you, and it seems to help him health-wise when he writes with you, so can we want to make it a part of his therapy. So we started writing at least once a week. Uh, sometimes it was just for the purpose of writing. There really wasn't a project. We would just write. But of course, like I mentioned, it would be demoed out as if it was for a project. And uh, of course, we know what ended up happening. Uh, he passed away. But we had all these songs sitting there. And I kept flashing on the fact that the Maurice didn't want these songs to just sit there. He wanted something to be done with them. And uh, so I contacted uh, Kalimba, which is his company, his production company, and Richie Salvato over there now. And um, we struck up a little deal to where we would pick the best or the cream of the crop of the songs that we would we had written over those years and uh, we picked out 12 of them and uh, of course we wrote a lot that he didn't sing the demo of so we didn't want those we wanted ones that he sang the demo of like I would sing some and no we didn't want those Uh, he had a female singer on some we didn't want those we wanted ones that he sang so we picked out 12 and uh, got the rights to release them and uh, Manifestation which is uh, a title that I had thought about years ago for him, and I remember him liking as it might be a possibility for something that he would use as a title for an album. So it just seemed apropos to make it the title of this 12-song collection. Wonderful, wonderful. I mean, it's, it's for me, you know, just to say, it is really like um, full circle um, to to be able to say that you know this project uh, that that you worked on with him uh, through our association, my association with you, um, Soul Music Records and your Platinum Garage Recordings, and you know to be able to have it come out uh, through that association really is full circle for me because my, I met Maurice. I think we're not going to have time to get into all of the time, first time I met him, but just to say that in 1975 when I met him. Uh, as uh, on assignment for Earth, for Blues and Soul to do an Earth, Wind & Fire interview. And we ended up doing it on a plane going from Los Angeles to Seattle. And then I had to turn back around and come back. But in, in that hour or so plane ride, literally, um, you know, changed my life because he and I talked about spirituality. We talked about things I was interested and curious about. And he recommended some books for me to read. And literally, I always think of Maurice as the person who 
really helped change the direction of my life. I mean, he really, it was that profound. It literally had me look at, well, what am I here for? What's, what, what's my life about? You know, have I been here before? I mean, you know, just all the, you know, I was 20 something years old and I was like many people at that time and many people subsequently who asked those questions, you know, what's my life about? And uh, he really, that, that, that was, and I told him, many times over the years uh, that he was, I would say, like a guy, like a, like a guy who said, try this direction in life. And mm. so to have the whole thing come full circle like that, it's just really amazing to me. And, and I'm just really um, proud and, and happy that we've been able to do this. Um, and what did you get from him in terms of songwriting during those sessions? What what were his strengths? Uh, he was great with uh, again rhythm came into play. You know, I've always I've, I've been writing songs you know since I was five. So you know, I thought I knew everything about writing songs. But Maurice White and his genius taught me something about rhythm. You know, just making something come on an upbeat instead of a downbeat, or making something come after uh you know after a certain measure will make the song have a different emotion different feeling and uh so he taught me uh, you know as we're writing the song we're maybe we might have the, this great lyric line but i'll come up with a melody and he'll say well instead of that melody instead of da, 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 he, he'll say how about da, 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 da. <clears throat> You know, I'll be, oh, that's a whole different thing. So just little things like that. Right, right. It's fascinating. Yeah. I was just saying, we could talk all day about Maurice. He was a we could. beautiful human being, and mm -hmm. uh, we all miss him. Yes. Well, thank you both, gentlemen. Thank you so much for sharing time with us, talking about one of my personal favorite subjects, you know, the work and the, the music of Maurice White and Earth, Wind and & Fire. And, uh, you know, just thank you for your time today. It's really been an, an extraordinarily interesting session. Yes. Thank <laughs> yeah. you, too, for you sharing your experiences, too, Dave. Yeah. Thanks, Preston and David. Thank you. I'm the, I'm the Maurice White novice here. I'm just a fan. I have interviewed the band, but I haven't interviewed Maurice, actually. It was Verdine. Yes. Um, but... Uh, well, what we didn't find out from you, Jeff, is what um, Earth, Wind & Fire's impact was like in England when you were growing up. That would be nice well, to just say that. Well, the easiest way to say, I mean, obviously everyone who was into you know, soul music and R&B was a big fan of Earth, Wind & Fire. But I think the impact of Earth, Wind & Fire was when I went to my uncle, I realized how big their impact was when I went to my uncle's house, who is obviously Indian like me a middle-aged Indian guy, and I saw the Ray's album in his record collection. <laughs> and that's when I knew this, this band is massive. Yeah, yeah. And their shows, I mean, just amazing, amazing shows. Mm. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. Thanks, David. And a very special thanks to his guests, Preston Glass and Jeff Vashister. You can stream the Maurice White album, Manifestation, as well as Earth, Wind & Fire's self-titled debut and their second album, The Need of Love, now on all digital platforms. 
And please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favourite podcast platform and visit us for breaking news and daily updates about your favourite soul and R&B artists over at soulmusic.com. I'm Bethany Dawson. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time on My Classic Soul.